sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning to each one this morning. It's good to be gathered together again in the house of the Lord. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer this morning. I don't know if there'd be a couple brothers, maybe one or two, that would like to pray. If you all want to stand, we can pray. They have one or two volunteers. Brendan? Maybe one more? Yeah, we'll go with Brendan if you want to pray, and then I'll close. Yes, Lord, we do come to you here this morning. Just want to call on you at the beginning of the service. Pray that your spirit would come and meet with us today. Pray you would help the words that I speak to speak to me. And just pray that you would um, be present here with us. Just pray you give me wisdom, the words to speak. Just pray you would um, just have your spirit in this place. We pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Well, I feel a little bit unprepared, maybe, to be up here even just with a very busy week and um, have had a topic on my heart that I've studied into some, but I don't feel completely prepared, but I will share what I have here. So, to start with, I'll maybe just talk a little bit about... um, the topic, and that is about the armor of God. And, you know, as Christians, we are in a war. And there's a war that's raging. It's for our souls. And the enemy has set themselves in array, and and the enemy has a goal, and that goal is to destroy the church of Christ and to devour even us individually and the church as a whole. I think it says in First um, Peter, I believe, where it talks about the devil walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And because of that, there is a perpetual need for us to be vig- to be vigilant. And we are called in many different places in Scripture to be strong, to be brave, to watch, and to be sober, to fight and to strive and to endure and stand fast and to walk circumspectly and that whole line of thought about the the constant perpetual um, war that we are in. 
And, you know, we're not, I'm not saying that to discourage us that, oh no, we're going to be fighting a war for the rest of our life, but rather to, to just remind us of where the battle is and what, what we are up against. And, you know, you could ask the question, so if this is a perpetual battle, should we just give up now? I mean, if it's, if we're never going to win or we're never going to get to the end of this battle, well, we do know that we will win once we reach heaven someday. And the question is, how can we fight all the time without growing weary? And in light of that battle and the battlefield, I would like to look at the armor of God in Ephesians. If you all want to turn there. In Ephesians chapter 6. Well, starting at verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye, may, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I think I'll stop reading there. So it gives an analogy, you know, of us being in a battle, and we've been given armor, we've been given resources to fight with. And... I don't know, I may have heard this concept before, but it was, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago when I was reading over this that it kind of stood out to me. The one, um, this one piece of armor in particular that is different from the rest. I don't know if any of you would know right off what that is. There's one of them that's somewhat different from all the rest. Well, I'll just say it then. It's the the sword of the Spirit. All of these things that list, loins girt about with truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel of peace, a shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer. The sword of the Spirit is the only one that's an offensive weapon. The others are just for protection, simply to protect us. But then the sword of the spirit is something that you use to actually go do damage to the enemy. Now I thought that's interesting that it puts a sword in here, you know, amongst a whole array of basically just protection. It has one weapon that's actually for fighting with. And I would like to focus primarily on that piece of armor, if you want to call it armor, the one weapon. And... I believe it's, well, yeah, for the most part, all these pieces of armor come from God. You know, you can look at truth, righteousness, peace, and faith. That comes from God. 
But this one piece in particular, sort of the Spirit, it is God himself, the Holy Spirit. The word there is logos, which is the same word that John used in John 1.1, where it talks about um, the word was God, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and so on. And when we enter into this battle, or I mean, we're probably already in it, actually, we must arm ourselves with that word of God, the spirit of God. And it is the spirit of God that makes the word of God an offensive weapon. You know, you can't necessarily just whack someone over the head with a Bible and have it be effective at changing their life, but it is only through the spirit of God that the word of God can do damage to Satan's kingdom. If we want to influence the world around us with, you know, looking specifically at the sword of the spirit being really the only piece of armor that can influence others around us, like we can put a helmet on and that's not going to make much difference in our neighbor's life or whatever. That's simply for our own good. Our salvation is for us as an individual, but then we're given also this sword that is to influence the world around us. And if we're going to do that, we need the Spirit of God. We need the Word of God. And, you know, we can have faith and peace and salvation, and, and that's all right and good, but that's not in itself going to make a big effect to our neighbors necessarily or to the world around us <clears throat> or even to, you know, the giants that we face as such. So if we want to make a um, an influence in the world around us, we want to kill our giants, so to speak. We need the Spirit of God. We need a sword. And, you know, a sword by itself, it can be used defensively, you know, strictly to block, you know, the blows of the wicked one. You know, you can use it for that. Um, But more than that is you can also inflict harm with it. You can inflict damage. And... In the same way, the word of God is twofold. One, to defend our position as Christians. And two, to also be able to convince the world of um, sin and righteousness and judgment. So in that, it is also fairly similar to a sword. And, you know, one, one single verse can reassure us when the devil assails us. And also sometimes even a single verse can be fairly persuasive in convincing the ungodly. So we have to know what the Word of God is, we have to know what it says, and we have to study it to become familiar with it. You know, a weapon, no matter how good it is, isn't going to do us much good if we really don't know how to use it or if it's clumsy in our hands. If you look back at, like, uh, when David was facing Goliath and Saul tried to give him all this wonderful weaponry and armor and whatever, and well, it didn't do David much good because he didn't know how to use it. He wasn't trained in it. And I think it's the same way with the Bible. You know, it can be the most complete guidebook imaginable for our Christian life. But if we don't know how to use it, we don't know how to apply it in practical daily life, it's not very effective in our life. We need to study it, the word, like it's our only hope of survival. And it is our only hope of survival. It's our handbook. Without it, we are powerless against the enemy.
And if it feels sometimes like we're not getting anywhere in our battles, maybe it's um, because we're out of practice. You know, it should be, you know, the first thing you check if you're not gaining in a battle is, you know, are your weapons not effective maybe? I mean, it's one thing to hold your ground and all you need is, you know, some really good armor and shields and blockage. But if you're not actually advancing, um, in the case of this armor, the only weapon that actually helps advance is the sword. And in comparing that with the word of God, that is the first thing that we should check is it sharp? Are we using it right? Are we using it every day, practicing with it, and and so on? There's a a concept I've heard multiple times, and I think it's probably fairly accurate. But as a general rule, you can master anything you want if you intensely study and practice for ten thousand hours. If you want to become a professional doctor just study it for 10,000 hours and you can become a professional doctor if you want to become a, a you know a world expert piano player just practice it and study it for 10,000 hours and you can become that and you know whether you know a pilot or building furniture even you know you can become you know one of the best in the world if it's something you're willing to study for 10,000 hours and and not just study, but also practice it. And I think the same applies for the Word of God. And I don't know that we can say, you know, well, I put in my 10,000 hours, and so now I'm an expert. But it's a continual thing that we have to devote our life to and to study it. And if we want to, um, if we want to know our Bible and how to use it as a sword, we might need to practice for 10,000 hours, which is essentially a lifetime of practicing and studying. You can't expect to become a professional warrior if you're just studying on the weekends or when there's time here or there. It has to become a full-time job. In the same way for soldiers, you know, a soldier that knows he's going halfway around the world into conflict, he's not just going to study... It's not just going to study and practice, you know, maybe a day a week, half a day a week, when he has time, on the weekends. No, he's going to put his whole life into it, realizing that this is his only hope of survival, is to be as good of a soldier as possible. And I think in the same way, the Bible is our weapon. It is our primary source of defense against the enemy. And we can't expect to just study it occasionally on weekends and then somehow it's going to win us a battle someday. You know, I can just imagine maybe the anguish that a soldier would go through if they had sort of half-heartedly went through all of their training and, and all, you know, like it's a picnic. And then maybe in the day of battle they suddenly realize they're woefully unprepared for what was actually to face them. And, you know, and they could be thinking, well, I wish I had studied harder. I wish I had practiced more. I wish I had done more. You know, and that's easy to see once your life depends on it. And I think it's, it does us good maybe to even consider that as, you know, for the Bible. Like, maybe we're having easy times now. Maybe we're not facing giants. But I think there's a sense where we should have somewhat of an urgency that 
our life does depend upon knowing the word of God and in being a student of that word and applying it to our life and becoming professionals of the word of God, so to speak, to be able to rely on it like this is our only chance of survival. It's our handbook and our guide. And I think even that can add some urgency maybe to how we study and how we um, make it part of our life. And we can look in the Bible again at the account of David where he was up against Goliath and he didn't really wait until he's out there, you know, standing in front of Goliath. He's like, you know what, I should maybe take a couple of practice swings with my sling to make sure I can actually throw a stone straight. Or maybe, you know, this would be a really time, good time to get to know God because he could really help me out here. No, David had done his homework. He knew God. He knew what um, he knew what weapons he had. He knew how effective they were. He knew that this wasn't just a physical conflict. It was a spiritual battle. And he had studied and practiced. And it wasn't, you know, just a sling and a stone. It wasn't just uh, the weapons of our warfare. You know, as it talks about, um, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places and I think David knew that and he had prepared and he had you know back when he was tending his sheep he could have thought well I'll never face a giant I don't need to become a warrior or I'll never have you know I'm just a, a sheep herd what what great um, need is there I don't see in my future where this is going to be Eventful, and he could have just, you know, picked dandelions or whatever. But I think even back when he was out in the sheep pastures, he was seeking God and reading His Word and and learning to know um, what weapons were available and how to use them. And and he was practicing and studying them. Possibly even more than ten thousand hours of study went into that. And in the same way, I think we can't expect to defeat our giants if we wait to practice until the day of battle. And, yeah, just like in a real battle, we need to practice like our life depends on it. And not just this life only. It's our never-dying souls that depend on how able we are to use the armor that we've been given. No one else can practice for us we can't just expect the preachers or the theologians to explain it perfectly and now you get a head knowledge of it even. And um, there's, There has to be personal application. We have, to, we have to do the studying and the practicing ourselves. Someone can't just tell you, well, here's how to play a piano. You could study textbooks for hundreds of years and never be a good piano player if you never tried. There has to be a, an actual application of the things you're learning to put them down and, and actually um, do it in real life. And it's the same with the, with the Word of God. We can read it and go over all the words until we're intellectually um, advanced in understanding of it. But if we never let it change our life, if we never actually put it into shoe leather, it's a fairly useless study in reality.
and you know was focusing primarily on the sword of the spirit here but we do need the whole armor of god and it says there in verse 11 of ephesians put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and you know the the sword by itself is not a complete picture of what we need as armament to fight this battle um it's not a complete arsenal by itself. We also need the other things that mentioned. We need righteousness and faith and salvation and prayer and all those things. You know, we're just like, obviously the word of God isn't going to help us much if we don't have faith to believe it. If we don't have salvation, you know, the very first step. And so because of that, we obviously need the whole armor of God. And it's not just a, a singular weapon that we can expect to um, to win the whole battle with that. Back to the point about it being our only offensive weapon, um, when we use it to portray this, uh, when we use the sword of the Spirit, we portray the fruits of the Spirit. And I think in many times, that is our best and most effective weapon at changing the world around us uh, ministering to our neighbors, um, even in times of persecution, you look at some of the um, persecutors whose lives got changed by the testimony of those they were persecuting, and many times it was because of not the strength of their arm or the sharpness of their sword, but because they portrayed the fruits of the spirit. And you know, back in even the days of the martyrs, especially. It wasn't the strength of the Anabaptists to resist those that came against them that made the church grow like it had never grown before. It was because of the fruits of the Spirit that were in their life. And, and just like a sword only affects, or a sword is the only one that affects a thing. It's the only um, weapon or armor that we have that affects those around us. In the same way, these the fruits of the Spirit are one of the few ways to affect those around us. In other words, my salvation doesn't necessarily make my neighbor want to become a Christian. My faith doesn't necessarily make... I mean, sometimes it can. It can be an effect, at least, or somewhat of that, but not to the same degree that um, something like love or peace and some of those fruits of the Holy Spirit can be. So yeah, portraying the fruits of the Spirit is probably our most powerful witness to the world around us. And it can convince it can convince men that God is real. And even as we think about this whole battlefield and the array and you know the difficulty we may face, I think it is important to remember too that the battle has been won and even as this is you know, Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. We know that that is when death was conquered and that um, it says in Philippians, every knee shall bow to Christ and every tongue will confess. And Christ even said of the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's only because of the resurrection and the power that brings. So hopefully as we consider the, the battle that's before us, 
it doesn't grow discouraging just because it's an ongoing battle, but we can have um, faith and hope in the power of Christ and that the battle is already won, but we do still have to study and to practice and to, to strive. So I think that's all I have for us this morning here. I hope that can be an encouragement as we go out and fight our battles and as we use the sword of the Spirit. God bless you all.